Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mike the Gardener podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. Is it just me, or are the weeks whizzing by just far too quickly? And of course, it's got nothing to do with getting old, has it? Now, this is the second chat where I was actually due to meet my guest in their own garden. And, for the same reason as the previous podcast, the fuel crisis jumped out of nowhere preventing me from travelling. And that was a great shame to me because the guy who I'm chatting to today I've admired from afar for many years. He's an inspirational garden designer, renowned for creating stunning gardens around the world, and has won many awards for his work. And... As you'll hear in this week's episode, he's also a passionate plantsman with a collection of unusual shrubs and plants in his own London garden. Amongst other things, Andrew tells me about how he got started in horticulture, designing his first Chelsea Flower Show garden, his first Alan Titchmarsh moment, and then goes on to talk about the intricacies of planting design and how biodiversity, ecology and sustainability are so important in the world of both gardening and planting design today. Most important things that we can talk about as designers and plants people is biodiversity, because I think it has that word diversity in it. Um, and, and, and we approach things from a much wider perspective before we narrow down our choices. I started our chat by asking Andrew to tell me all about his London garden. Right, this is this is going to um, challenge my descriptive powers, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's green. As, as, as a supposedly creative person, I should be able to do this. Um, well, it's it's a typical London garden uh, in a sense that it's a you know, terraced house and it's four and a half metres wide by 10 metres long. Um, I'm lucky that in uh, I live in a place called the Apostles. Uh, it's um, 12 roads. Um, mm-hmm. None of them are named after an apostle. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> looking at me as a handshake. No, um, uh, apparently just after the Second World War, all the midwives um, who used to come to deliver ch- children, they got confused. And so they named all the roads after the Apostles and it stuck. Um, okay. and, <laughs> and 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 each road is about 120 houses and there's 12 roads and I, I, I unbeknownst to me when I bought the house um it's the only house with a side access that's just shared with the neighbor um, okay. which is really fortunate because the the last 25 years there's been a lot of plants in and out of here especially when I started out and you'd go to the nursery and have a few leftover and things like that you know <laughs> um but I it's not allowed anymore the last five years um plants are not stored here anymore and we're a bit more organized um and um yeah so I've been here 25 years um the first thing I planted were some acegrisiums um five in a in quite a tight group um, and they've been radically pruned back, and I mean radically, right back to the trunk um, mm. twice in their lives to keep them to a, a, a reasonable size. Um, and that's usually, that's always been a task for Boxing Day. I have a thing about going and do some gardening on Boxing Day. Um, <laughs> and, um, and they're really good, actually. I, I, I love the acegrisiums. Uh, I'm looking out there now, and it's uh, apart from, there's a, there's a pinostrobus, um, the eastern white pine which is uh, my sorry I should tell you there's a house at one end of my office at the other end I'm sitting in the office at the moment okay. and the pinostrobus um, came as a small plant and now is it's not particularly large but it just um, goes just above the, the the roof of the of the office and it's a it's a fab tree but those are the sort of originals and then other things have changed I, I love unusual trees I love unusual plants yes I was going to talk to you about that um mm. where did that come from but when was your first sort of unusual plant brought to your home my first unusual plant moment um I think I think to an extent it's always been there very got influenced by growing up in a family of gardeners some professional but um uh, i an early really early memory is going to the um pine eaton down in it's in kent isn't it it's at bedgebury um and and actually remembering my 
dad have a having a fit of laughter and I can't remember what that was about but anyway um I remember, remember thinking that's really good it's really good I it's almost like this is therapy because we, we're now allowed to talk about how we we like conifers whereas for most of my career conifers have been a bit naff you know for people but anyway I have um, I, I have a, I have a few I, I I'm a big fan of um, Walker's Nurseries up in Doncaster mm-hmm. um I don't know if you know them Graham Bodle up there who's won a couple of best in shows at Chelsea is a good friend and uh, I think they are third or fourth generation um, conifer growers and uh, Graham has given me a few things over the over the years that they've actually lost the name for um, <laughs> so I've got a weeping conifer in a pot which is wonderful but nobody knows actually what it is um, but that's typical gardeners isn't it absolutely um, so, so uh, yeah so so uh, but it's not a conifer garden it's not that I mean I've got I've got lots of different things like we um, we did a garden for Bowel Disease UK um, back in 2016, I think it was, at mm-hmm. Hampton Court. And um, we were on a really tight, really, really tight budget. In fact, I think I think I had about £9,000. Um, and, and we've only ever won our best in shows on the smallest of budgets. Um, whenever I've had a, had a big budget, I've never won best in show, <laughs> um, but we did we did that that this that year, and and we bought all the plants and things. And so I said, all right, bugger it, some some of those are coming back um, to to my garden. So we we uh, there's about five tree ferns, um, you know, your your typical Dixonia Antarctica. But I yeah. also came back with things like some Cyathea, and um, there's some. Um, rarer ferns as well so things like blackenum chiliensis the chilean hard fern or i think they call it something like um the cow's rib costilla de vaca in chile okay um so there's things like that which i have to look after but uh, but i've also got stuff you know uh, um that's been acquired i have um, the most amazing weeping witch hazel hamanellus vernalis which came out of a skip at Chelsea in 1996, in the days when, I mean, I, that was when I, I had a garden there that year and we were the only people where the garden was going on somewhere else. Okay. And that doesn't, ha- that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I think, I think most gardens, actually the majority of gardens probably do go mm. somewhere. Um, so, you know, I'm sorry to say, you know, 25 years ago, you could, get really nice plants out of skips <laughs> of <to Chelsea. laughs> um, and, and this weeping um witch hazel it, it actually a, a neighbor's um uh, christmas tree which had got to about 30 foot collapsed a couple of years ago and went straight through the middle of the witch hazel but it but it it survived it and um it's still growing strong so um yeah so so those those are sort of older ones i think i've got climbing hydrangeas that came out of clients gardens and that sort of thing as well. It, it, it sort of begs the question, Andrew, have you ever bought a plant for your own house, for your own garden? <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> I, used, I used to have, stupidly, I had three parotias, which came from tender care when I first first built the garden um, mm. and grew them as a hedge. And, and they've become quite popular for, for shaping. But um, I'm not, uh, I, one thing I really don't like, and, and my students will laugh at this because I'm going on about it all the time, is I hate all those sort of balls and pointy things and things. I hate, hate and, it, and, it, and I find it really weird that in a, when we're in a moment of going quite, you know, people talk about naturalistic and, and going wild and things, that mm. there's a lot of other people going the other way. And you see on Instagram these gardens which are just full of balls. And it's just... And yeah. my heart sinks. <laughs> really. uh, I'm not like uh, that. I, I, I have got I have got a beach hedge at the front, um, but I let it grow a little bit wild, and that's more because I'm busy. Um, but I like I like plants to do their own thing. But I mean, the other side of that is I I have very few native plants in my garden. I have uh, a Larix decidua, um, and and I don't think Pinostroma is. I think that's a European. Um, um, pine I think but mm. um, I don't have a lot of that but then you know I've also got wonderful things a, a friend of mine in Edinburgh uh, Derek he um, he grew some pomegranates from seed and um, and all his friends up in Edinburgh have lost theirs because it's too cold but mine it loves it, uh, it wow. it's really good and I get pomegranates um, it, it must be that London microclimate I guess do you have frost in London 
not so much these days. We get no. a few, um, and that's and that's the problem when you're making gardens here is that you know sometimes you know after a couple of seasons if you people have got lawns and things they can they can look a bit brown and things because there aren't the frost killing the stuff mm. every year that mm. works well i i i once worked in um siberia for a few years which is <laughs> it's another story altogether but um they they have the most wonderful roses because it goes down to minus 30 and it just kills everything that can affect them. Yeah. You know, and, and what really struck me more than anything, I could never get over it, is that they have hedges made from spirea. And I always think of spirea as being quite a delicate plant. Yeah. But, but they use it as hedging plant in places like the Urals and things, and it's, and it's really tough. Um, so, yeah, anyway, frost. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> I mean, we we know you, I guess, predominantly as a garden designer, but you're you're a real plantsman as well. And I wondered, take your mind back to your childhood. What were your first gardening memories? And did you have any idea as a, a youngster as to what direction you wanted to go in? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny thing. I was talking to my nurseryman about this the other day. Um, because he was saying that you can't go to a garden designer's website without seeing how, you know, at the age of eight, they started growing tomatoes with their grandparents. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like to go be a street cred. And things. And it's like, but, you know, I think, I think if, if you're of, certainly of my generation, you did, you know, you had grandparents that, that, that grew um, veg much, you know, and, and it's my generation and the one that came up to me that I actually forgot about that. I think they, feel, mm. they, you know, it's coming back with a younger generation now. But yeah, I mean, you know, those are my my. Uh, I, I suppose I, I do remember going into the greenhouse with my granddad down in Hastings and and seeing the tomatoes. But actually, I more remember being in the greenhouse when my uncle flew over in the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> my uncle was very very cool. He he um, he only had um, two breaks from being a helicopter pilot every year, where he went to be a helicopter a standing helicopter pilot, and one was for Jacques Cousteau and the other one was Frank Sinatra. Oh, wow. Um, which, is, which is the coolest thing. Um, and unfortunately, he divorced my aunt, who was my blood relative, and I didn't see him after the age of about nine. <laughs> oh, dear. I did, I did get given his retirement watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so tomatoes and helicopters, I guess. Um, and, and also, I mean, my, my dad had three allotments all next to each other, grew huge amounts that we used to have, to, I say we used to have to help, mm. but it was that thing of, actually you really enjoy digging up potatoes and things because it was like treasure and yeah. so that was a and I, I grew up in um histon just outside cambridge which is on the edge of not far from the fence um which is great potato growing um days um and my dad actually if i think about it he used to like something unusual he used to grow things like salsify which i think is coming back a bit it's a funny vegetable to grow yeah um, actually one of my clients grows salsify in her garden yeah and it's sort of like you know, we, we had a lot of things, you know, most of the fruit and veg on the table were from the allotment or friends who had, um, we used to spend two weeks of the year picking a, a, a plum orchard. Mm. Um, and I think to this day, my mum doesn't buy plums anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do. And, um, and so, yeah, so those those are the sort of early memories. And I actually, there were my 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 sort of grandparents and uncles and things were 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 mostly uh, um but, well they all gardened and some of them were parts gardeners um but um so I, I get but I don't think that's anything special I think that was something that back in the 60s and 70s was quite normal really and I mm. grew up just into the countryside and and so people grew grew things um and and I um was always encouraged to go and sort of follow a career and things so the first thing i did was i rebelled from that and i went to go and work for barclays bank when i left school at 18. <laughs> so it took took me a little while to get to it and i think it wasn't until i moved to london and had a tiny patch in in, in ballon when i started growing and i had some neighbors who were landscape architects um that i got on very very well with i started thinking that actually this was a better option for me and you were still with the bank at that point, were you, Andrew? 
I worked for three banks over the over, over nine years. I worked for Barclays Bank. I then went to work for TSB when it was floated, uh, privatised the first time, mm. um, and then moved down to London with them and finished up living in York um, because I worked on the launch of First Direct back in the late 80s. And, um, and I liked it. It's all good. But the, the sort of move to York was really... Um, we had the office of Leeds and it was really a bit of tactical um, thing. They moved me up there and then I went to Askenbrun College. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what pushed you to go to Askenbrun College? What was the what was the motivation then? Something obviously happened. I wanted, yeah, no, I, um, uh, I, I always remember sit, those neighbours in Ballam and uh, going out for dinner one night and listening to them and listening to all about their work and things. I thought, this sounds really interesting. This, this, it sort of quite gripped me. But I also knew that I didn't want to be a landscape architect and I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So I sort of decided that I was going to go and, and, and learn horticulture. And I went and I did the H&D in landscape, I think they called it landscape management at the time. Um, but you went through you know you started at the basics of horticulture you also in those days had a middle year placement um, mm. and I worked with for a, a, a landscape um, company in Nottingham and um, so you learnt the ropes and I and I that's where my love of horticulture comes from and plants mm. and Ask and Brian has got a really fantastic collection of plants I haven't been out there for a long time but it certainly did then um, and it's things like I always remember every morning when I when I cycled in um, there was a big Paris Caliana Chanticleer and it was a mature tree um, and 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 it's funny because all these years later that's such a a, a box standard tree now it wasn't mm. at the time uh, I'm told um, that it's like one of the most planted trees in the UK um, particularly because it's the one that architects know and they shove it in everywhere because it doesn't really <laughs> grow to being things like that yeah. and it is, a fab, it is a fabulous tree um and so this you know that that had a real um I, I was taught by people who'd worked in parks as well and I think if you listen to people who've had parks apprenticeships and things like that you you really get to know plants and know what you can do with them and and, and I think not too precious about them as well mm. um, you know, I, I jokingly always say to my clients when I'm pruning things down, because I still like going out and pruning stuff. And things, is that, you know, I was taught by people who just pruned everything six inches off the ground. Uh, <laughs> and and you, you trusted in somebody that you would come back. And, and, and do you know, it works. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, perhaps not with some of the sort of tender things I've got in my garden now, but, you know, it is um it, it, it does work. Um, and it was a great grounding. And I, I did, um, I, I was going to do the three years, but um, there was a degree year you could do with University of Leeds um, and uh, as an add-on at the end. And I, and I, um, if I stayed on there, I got to do Chelsea Flair Show for Asking Brian College. So okay. I thought, because there was, <laughs> it was, it was at my last year at H&D, we'd been there for the first time and we had, um, the, the college had money from the Morrison's Family Trust, as in the Morrison supermarkets, yeah, yeah. Who, who were based up there. Um, and then um, Leeds City Council said, we'll sponsor a garden because the armories were moving to Leeds and they wanted to publicise that. So I actually designed the first garden for Leeds City Council um, and they were there until, what, they did that really big... Um, lock garden you know the canal garden about oh yes yeah, yeah. Well, probably getting on for 10 years ago now yeah. so they were there for a long time um but I also did I got to do my dissertation working with the National Railway Museum and looking at freight yards and everyone had, it, it was also with the British Rails Property Board which I think is still around and and they've got loads and loads of land often little bits of land where railway lines went across land and cut off, say, an acre of a farmer's land, and he, he or she didn't want that, so mm. the properties board took it. Um, but they've also got freight yards and things, and um, they had no value because everyone made the assumption that they were really contaminated. Um, and you know, my, my degree is a science degree, and so we looked at the contamination in freight yards, and particularly at the National Railway Museum, to see what if you could grow things in it. 
and and the great thing there was i mean they they had a challenge which was with a museum you want people to come for the day you want them to stay bring the family use the restaurant buy the stuff you know <laughs> yeah. you know and that wasn't happening people you know it was it was more often the father and his sons came along and things but, mm. but by making some green space suddenly it became a different uh a, di- a different thing um and we sort of proved that works and and so the the value of freight yards and things went up and um, they weren't just going to be tarmacked over for retail sites and a place like place like york actually hasn't got that much green space no 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 yeah. so your your first chelsea flower show garden were you solely responsible for the design of that or was it a collaborative exercise with others? Yeah, students? no, I, I, I designed that um, and um, it was enjoyable. I had my first Antich Marsh moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a story about this. Can I tell you a story about this? Absolutely. I like that, stories. We were, build, we were building that garden. So I was probably about 30, I guess. And we were building that garden and Mr. Tish, Titchmarsh came along and w- one day and was eating my roast chicken crisps. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Gosh, the detail. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, I see. I remember this. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, Mr. Titchmarsh, uh, you know, Sir Alan. And um, the um, and he had a chat with us. And I said, oh, what do you think about our, our garden? And he went, oh, it's all right. And I thought, oh, right, OK, <laughs> that's it. You know, you know, we're a bunch of students, <laughs> a bit of encouragement. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and Alan is really, you know, he really does encourage people, people into horticulture. So at the time, anyway, that was at the time. Both of us looking a lot slimmer. And, How long ago uh, was this, Andrew? This was 1996. Okay. So he was, he, that's when he was presenting. Yeah. So, you know, go forward until about what five years ago when he stopped presenting and he did the garden, um, helped by Kate Gould and, and Mark Gregory. Yeah. And um and he's standing there waiting to um, you know, meet the Queen and, and all that sort of stuff. And and I I walked along and I'm having a chat with him and seeing that and he said, Oh, what do you think about the garden that uh, yeah, Andrew? And I said, That's all right. <laughs> 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 and he said he was like oh damned with faint praise and then i told him the story because obviously he didn't remember he appreciated that <laughs> it's funny that i mean we, you, you know you it, you should have been actually asking me about what my first Alan titchmarsh moment was not what my first plant anyway i'm gonna have to remember that for every chat now on we have to be what, what was your first alan titchmarsh moment yeah. i love him I, I love him to bits actually i think he's done so much for our industry Anyway, Absolutely. Um, just go, touching back on being at college at Ask and Brian College. Obviously, you're director of the London College of Garden Design. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if your time at Ask and Brian had any impact on what you've done with the LCGD, how you've actually um, set up training. Um, yeah. Oh, it, def- it definitely has. I mean, I have always regarded myself deep down as a, a horticulturist first because mm. When I came back down to London, I'd done all my training. That was when um, garden design got on television. Uh, and so there were people doing things on television, people like Steve Bradley, who did amazing stuff. And, and so that's what people were asking for. And it was that moment when people weren't looking for a landscaper. They suddenly went, oh, I'll have a designer, you know. And, and I remember late 90s being the only uh, registered designer of the Society of Garden Designers in South London. And now, of course, there's loads. But yeah. you know, it, yeah, it, yeah. So that was that, that first moment. And that's how I got into that. But when we set up the college in 2007, both Andrew Wilson and, uh, and myself in particular, but also Mark Gregory, we'd all, um, we'd all been teaching um, for a long time in places. And, mm. and, and Andrew and I both taught for Rosemary Alexander at Chelsea um, Physic Garden, for the uh, yeah. English Garden School. And, um, and, and we wanted to do... We wanted to offer a course that we would have wanted if we wanted to be a garden designer. And and you have to remember, you know, this is even in 2007, um, garden design as a career path was relatively new. Um, You know, we talk about John Brooks and and all that, but, Mm. you know, often they'd work with landscape architects and things. And as a career path, this was relatively new. And we we looked at 
you know what we as um having worked in it thought people needed needed in terms of their confidence as well to be garment designers um and there were a couple of things in there that that, that other courses didn't do and that was particularly construction design um, yeah. and both both mark and i had had construction well mark still has a construction company so particularly construction design um but also the, the underlying horticulture that garden designers need some of the best garden designers have actually started at places like Wisley and at Kew and you know and done done those apprenticeships there mm. um and and that's not always I think I think it's better now but it's not not at the time wasn't always given on on garden design courses and so that's what we wanted to bring to it and and our course is slightly longer than um other courses available um and it's and it, it it must work because we have graduates doing fantastic things all around the world um you know we're just talking about chelsea but you know tom massey who just got a goal at chelsea he's a graduate i am ferret cohen uh, who's a, a fabulous plants woman she's she's a graduate she's also done our planting design diploma um, and and several other people were there, um, and you only have to go in a build up at Chelsea. And you, I deliberately give everybody college high vis vests because then they use them at Chelsea Flash Show, and it's good ever for me. <laughs> and and you, you know, about twenty five percent of the high vis have got LCGD on them. I'm no fool. <laughs> um, yeah. Great marketing, I love it. And I, <laughs> do you know about that? Sorry about that. What, what has really annoyed me this in the last two years is that about five years ago, when, when you're building up at Chelsea, often the, the, the London plane trees are sending down all their pollen and everyone is coughing. They call it the Chelsea cough. Mm. And I thought, God, I ought to get masks with the college logo on so that people wear them and talk to each other. And I never did it. Oh, that's a real it's missed opportunity. opportunity. Definitely. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> So you touched on your planting um, diploma then that you also have, which you wrote, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I um, I used to, I had, um, I, I guess, you know, one thing leads to another. I was chair of the Sati Garden Designers for a couple of years. And as soon as I, literally the day that I stood down, Bob Sweet from the RHS rang me and said, will you come and be an RHS selector and judge and everything and yeah, I was yeah. like, why not so i went off and did that and i i chaired the selection of um gun the large gardens at chelsea mm. um, and i was never actually because i was the one person who saw the budget i was never allowed to actually judge them which was great i used to go and go and judge small gardens and things mm. um and back in you know sort of eight nine years ago I was just really annoyed one year because I know people say, oh, it's always the same plants on every garden. And, and that's fine because, you know, it is the end of May or the end of September. You know, you're going to get the same sorts of plants looking good. Mm. And it does vary because you get a you, these days, if you get a cold winter, then some things like peonies are not available for Chelsea. And, and if you get a warm spring, you know, things like irises might be almost over. So it does change. But that's the truth. But that year it just felt like everyone was doing a version of naturalistic design you know um and which is which i think we're moving away from now anyway but so i got i was i was sort of annoyed and i had to go at andrew wilson and andrew wilson said to me well um why don't you write a course about planting design um and we had a chat about it and we had no idea if anyone would come um but we but, but i wrote a course um and we'd had quite a lot of landscape architects saying to us, can't you do something for us? Um, and when I said, well, what do you want? They all said more plant knowledge. Yeah. Because, you know, you do a landscape architecture degree and you get, you, you get very little horticulture, certainly no sort of planting design. So we launched it and I would say probably about 30% of the people who come on the course are landscape architects. Um, which is great. We've had some really well-known landscape architects come on the course because they they say to me they want to sort of hold their own in a conversation in their office. Yeah. Um, but we also have probably another third are garden designers who've got bored. Um, they often say they 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 get bored with what they're doing. They feel they're just doing the same thing all the time. Um, you know, um, starting with a list of their favourite plants, which is the the absolute worst way of doing planting design. 
Um, and then the other people are landscapers who, who don't want to be garden designers, but they want to understand plants more and how to put them together. And, and some amazing plants people, you know, gardeners who've got really good garden businesses mm. coming along just to learn that language of design to help with their business. And, um, and so we, we, yeah, we kicked off seven or eight years ago and we have people join us from all over the world. I had people from Asia, from South America. For some reason, we have a have quite a lot of people who like to come from Chile, um, okay. <laughs> and um, and well, it makes makes it fascinating for me because the last project um, is a sort of a, a design project which they can put their own um, they can put their own brief on, so they can take it back to wherever they come from because it's a portfolio piece. Um, and a couple of years ago, there was a student who actually set it in a remote part of South Africa with some really unusual plants. And it took me all day to mark because I had to find out what these plants were in the first place. <laughs> I just, you know. But we also, was surprised, we always have Italian landscape architects come on the course as well, who are great fun. Um, and now it's sort of, it's really established and, and um, we're already, I mean, it starts late January every year. We're already fully enrolled for next year. Wow. Um, and words got round, I think, uh, and we're filling for 2023. But we have the most uh, amazing people come and talk on it. Nigel Dunnett is a huge supporter of that. And he has, I think, quite a distinctive approach um, to plant mm. design and, and sends people on the course. But we also have really interesting people like Amanda Patton, who is by, funnily enough, um, has illustrated most of Alan Titchmarsh's books. Uh, <laughs> and um, um, Carolyn Willits from Manchester, um, whose background is originally in theatre design, which is also a landscape architect and garden designer. That's Marian, interesting. Yeah, Marion Mako, who is a, is a historian, um, does some great stuff. So there's lots of people like that, um, but, we're, but also getting approached by people who want to teach on it. So next year, I, I, don't, I haven't told anybody this yet. So you're, you're the first one saying, I've got Thomas Rayner, who's going to, to teach on the course as well. Oh, fantastic. Mm. So really cool. So, so um, you, you said it's a portfolio piece. What, what will people, because obviously you're not going to provide them with, this is how you plant a garden. It's a portfolio piece, a different, different sort of like philosophies the, the, in planting. Yeah, the whole, whole course is about talking about different approaches and different processes to make much more engaging and diverse planting. Mm. So it's not, like I say, it's not starting with a list of your favourite plants or the ones you know. It's about going through different processes to find the plants which are right. And it's more than the, it's not, I hate that, that sort of planting combinations phrase because planting combinations is all about three or four plants together that work horticulturally and look quite nice. Mm. This is about planting design with a bigger picture. And that's why we have so many different people who, who come and talk about, about different approaches and we have inspirational days and we have practical days um, and a particularly one of the things I, I love is bringing in people who have gardens which are there to make money from visitors so Neil Lucas has been with us from the start and he has a very interesting take on that um, but also you know Richard Wilford who's at Q, um, you know he's actually putting plants together in a way that attract people to queue it from a from a different point of view of like tree collections and things. Mm. Um, you, you will never get better horticulture than at those gardens, which use the gardens to make money. You know, well, that's, Noel, Noel yeah. is down the road for me. In fact, I spoke yeah. to Neil a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah inspirational guy, inspirational plantsman and a fantastic garden. Yeah, he's so much fun. And you, you know how good he is because, you know, if he comes and teaches in March, he'll take the students out into queue to look at all the grass beds and some years they've cut it all back. <laughs> and so, <Yeah. laughs> so he can, he can do an hour or two, just like, you know, <laughs> describing what these, these amazing grasses are like when they're all cut back. <laughs> Interestingly, just a moment ago, you talked about naturalistic planting and how we're gradually moving away from that. Sorry. You, you, you broke up for a minute there and all I heard was you we're gradually moving away from that. <laughs> we're, you, you mentioned about naturalistic planting yeah. and how we're gradually moving away from naturalistic planting. Um, where do you think we're going with planting now and what are I, the reasons I, I, behind that? Yeah, I think I think the naturalistic thing is something we're learning, we're learning about. Mm. Um, and it was um, 
I think um, people have mimicked, particularly Peter Aldoff. And, and I don't think there's any point in mimicking Peter Aldoff when you buy a book that he wrote 15 years ago, because we have this little thing called climate change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, know, you, need, you need to be listening to him now. And he does some fantastic stuff. But the only person who's really pushed Peter Aldoff's approach and processes forward in the last 50 years is him himself mm. you know it's it's i think there are the the people who are doing really interesting stuff are oh, the likes of thomas rayner and and nigel dunnett and james hitchman because they you know they're doing their own thing interestingly mm. from a scientific background as well there's a there's science in there and i think that's what's really important i i i had a conversation with somebody probably three or four years ago and they were telling me about this perennial meadow they were putting in and I thought, this sounds great. And they were talking about it. And I was thinking, there's not many different plants and things. And it actually, what she, was, what she was designing was a two by 10 metre border. It wasn't a meadow. And, <laughs> and so, but I think we're getting over that. I think, I think there's that stylist, stylistic thing about naturalistic that people are now thinking, well, actually, in itself, perennial meadows or perennial planting, it's fab for a time, but it's not necessarily doing the right thing. Mm. Um, and so people are much, much more interested, again, with shrubs and trees and, and things like that, and are much more diverse. And I, and I think one of the most, most important things that we can talk about as designers and plants people is biodiversity because i think it has that word diversity in it um and and, and we approach things from a much wider perspective before we narrow down our choices um, and i don't think that i mean you know designers are going to really be important in the future but as as a support mechanism for the gardeners and the horticulturists um you know we i think you can't talk about planting design or, or design anyway. And I tell this to my students without understanding ecology and where we fit in the, in the wider world of things. And I think, you know, you, you, if, I'm not saying people have got to be an ecologist, but they do need to talk about ecology because their customers are asking about those things. Yeah, which leads me on to my next point biodiversity, sustainability, climate change, ecology, mm. new designers coming out from LCGD or wherever, what is the skill set? What's going to make a good designer going forward? And are there any out there? Are there any, is there new talent that you could say, so, yeah, these are people to watch? I, yeah, I think there is a new talent there. The, I think, um, you know, we've, we've moved in the last 15 years to a very a highly heavily planted aesthetic um, and there are few designers um, who can get away with putting loads of um, pavers down and and you know all those you remember all those sort of concrete rendered walls and um, and, and fitted benches and everything like that and it's fine in a small garden in, in, in an urban setting that's what, what some people you know, like, and we, you know, I remember having a conversation at the RHS with um, Andrew Wilson about, you know, is it still a garden if there are no plants in it? But now mm. people don't want it, people want plants. Yeah. I mean, the last two years has been fantastic for our industry, yeah. been awful for the nation, but, mm. you know, in terms of people turning on to that idea of plants. Um, and so, you know, I think good garden designers, landscape architects, they need those skills. And landscape architects are taking on garden designers. They're employing garden designers and planting designers in particular. Mm. We have people who graduate off of my course who go and work for landscape architects and have a fabulous time and working in public spaces, but some, sometimes in, in, in private residential gardens with landscape architects. So, so I, think, I think plants are going to determine that, but also use of materials, you know, how, how we're using materials. There is, there was a, garden i'm trying to think who the designer was but i think it's in in a recent edition of society garden designers journal and it was fabulous because it, it reused um it reused everything on site and it, and it was beautiful it was a really mm. fabulous garden and i apologize to the designer i can't remember her name um but it might come to me um and um and, and i think that's that's the future there is you know, if we think about the cost of waste, um, 
we are going to be forced, and I've been talking about this year, that for years we're going to be forced to use as much waste on site as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, my, some of my landscapers are brilliant at actually using waste on site anyway. You know, we don't take soil off and we don't import much because actually it makes their price cheaper mm, of they course, win yeah. The job, yeah you know from that point of view and they've done that for years but now it's becoming quite a sort of uh, an imperative i think for designers to to think about that um and it's good i mean it it means that you've got to be more creative um and um and that's important and there's and there are some great people out there we we're running um what we call our info burst so every term we have um sessions uh, on a theme and um as a webinar and um we've got one at the moment so last week we had tom simpson who's um very quietly getting on with it and doing some really interesting work and then there's uh, next week we've got ola maria who i i remember actually when i used to judge for the rhs actually judging her for the young arm designer of the year competition mm -hmm. at tatton um, and she did a fabulous garden there. And I think she's got a she's got a, a really interesting approach to planting. Um, that's next week. Um, and then we've got some other people like Harry Holding, who's who comes from a gardening background and, and got a scholarship. Um, we we did uh, we occasionally can do bursaries and things for the college. And he got on that and he was a top student there. I mean, he he took it by both hands and 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 really got as much out of that course as possible. But he's a really good plantsman. Um, and and there's you know there's there's a lot of interesting people there. Mm. Um, the the great thing about this sort of emphasis on plants is that you know I do stuff with things like future gardeners and in the past streetscape and apprenticeship schemes at places like the Royal Parks, and there's some brilliant people coming through who ten years ago were, were discouraged from going into horticulture or being gardeners because it was seen as this thing you did if you're not very good at anything else. Anything else, yeah. And now there's a lot of young people who want to get involved with things environmental um, and they see this as a, uh, as a route. Uh, places like Wisley, I, I teach um, level three and level four diploma students at Wisley. Amazing guys, like really, really great people i was going to call them kids but some of them are like again into it <laughs> when i did in my late 20s um but really uh, you know you it, I, I know they've had record um record applications for that and i i only wish that somehow the rhs could could do more in that sense you know i but then again i think places like capable manor are doing a, an amazing job now i have hundreds of apprentices and things and, and i think we we need to rise to that challenge while people are interested very much so but it is it's just so refreshing to see new talent new gardens new ideas and the embracing of some of these key words that we have buzzing around us at the moment i'm interested when when you look at a garden be it a show garden or a private garden what do you see first? You're a plantsman, you're a designer. Do you find yourself focusing on something initially? Well, I think I think um, that actually what it is, is I'm a bit like, I'd say this, this is probably <laughs> a bit like Indiana Jones, because actually what I look for is the treasure. Um, I, I'm looking, you know, I, 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 I'm like a lot of people who visit gardens. It's like, you know, you're in a, you're in a chocolate box and you're fighting all the little, all, all, all the things that you really like, but at the same time, looking for new things. I love, I love, um, you know, you, you can't be going around a garden with the owner who's proud of things and will, you know, and, mm. and talk about, um, you know, individual plants and things. And, and occasionally there's, there's plants like that that you think, oh, I've got to have those. I mean, uh, Jim Gardner, who used to be the um, um, the curator at Wisley, I remember him telling me the story of Roscoe's and we were talking, I had a, I had a, just one one type of Roscoe on um, on that Bowdoin's UK garden. And actually he came on and stood there for half an hour telling me that it was named after Mr. Roscoe who founded the, the Liverpool Botanic Garden. And, you know, and, and you know, sort of six months later, I had five different types. <laughs> you know? um, so so I, it, it, it is about it, it, more and more these days. I, I mean, I think, you know, I'm a, 
I'm very proudly a chartered horticulturist. And so mm. I, I start with plants. I, I do love, um, I, I, and, I, and I think probably a bit romantic. I, I love old gardens. I love places like Eastern Wall Gardens up in Lincolnshire. Yeah. Um, fam- fabulous what Ursula has done, done there with, with the, gar- the head gardener there. I apologise again, I can't remember his name. Um, and, um, and, and so, you know, I, I never go into gardens looking for something and I don't, and I actually fell out of love with the judging for various reasons. And I just didn't feel in some ways comfortable. I, I, I have a bit of discomfort now anyway. I think things like Hampton Court and Chelsea in particular are great for our industry, but I was, I was, I was really disappointed that there had been no opportunity to reinvent it. Mm. And I think, you know, it's a bit like the RHS has only just got a sustainability policy. They're only just embracing diversity. And that's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. I just wish there was a, there was a, there could have been, and, and, you know, we've got to, I, I acknowledge that financially they, you know, they've had probably had a tough time, but I just wanted that there just didn't seem to be anything new, but, and I have a, I do now have a bit of a, a problem with this whole issue about sustainability and shows because and, and it's it's funny I, I we're running this conference shortly on the influence of plants and gardens on fashion and fashion has really embraced the whole issue about sustainability in a big way um you know four four years ago when Karl Lagerfeld had a giant rocket taken off in his in his runway show um people you know, people thought this was amazing. If you did that now, people would be horrified. Yeah, you know, yeah. at the waste. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think you know, I, I it's not things like sustainable planting and things like that are throwaway terms now. And you need to look deeper than what people what people are actually doing to see if that's really true. Um, and whatever you do with a show garden or an event like that, it's never going to be sustainable. But you can you can make it better, um, and that's yeah. and that's why these designers, you know, that are there now, they relocate gardens. Um, okay, you're building a garden twice, but at least you don't see stuff going into skips anymore. Yeah, yeah. there's no more plants for you to fish yeah. out of the skip yeah. at the end of the flower. No, so. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because I think it's great for the industry. You know, it's yeah. it's never the RHS have never promoted it as an international show, so they're not encouraged. You know, they don't as themselves encourage people to get on planes to come to it or anything like that, and and that's great. Uh, but ultimately, it's going to have a bit of a footprint. You know, definitely. Andrew, I've got so much to talk to you about today. I, I don't know if any podcasts go on for a whole day. However, <laughs> Sorry, however, as you know, I can talk. <laughs> well, and, and so can I. And it's just fascinating. They say I have literally got so much I wanted to ask you about, but I can't let you leave today without uh, when we first when I first invited you to come and be a guest on the podcast, you teased me about a new role. And I wondered <laughs> yeah. if yeah. you could tell me a little bit more about that. Well, yeah, I've just, um, I think like a lot of people over the last two years, well, since, you know, we've, we've all had a bit of a think about, you know, where we stand in the world and, and what we're doing. And, I, and I've been business partners with Dan Bowyer in our company for 17, 18 years. But I always, Dan's 20 years younger than me. And I always said to him, you know, at some point, when I, by the time I get to 60, you'll own the company and you'll just employ me for a few years. Uh, and that's what we've done. Um, so oh, I've yeah. actually, I actually, um, uh, last week, Dan took over the whole business. Um, it's still got, you know, it's, it's, it's very good of him. And he's keeping the name above the door, which is right. great. But I'm actually working for him now. Uh, which is brilliant because I don't have to do the books anymore. <laughs> it, it also it also means I, I'm not getting a pension from the company. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah, so just, sort of shaking things up a bit and uh, and and um, concentrating a bit on on the college because there's still things I want to do there. And mm. we're looking at um, certificate courses that we can do. Um, so so there's there's stuff there. Um, we also launched um, a college in Australia. Yes, uh, I saw that. Big, yeah. yeah, so the first um, first course started last March. It's a bit different there. We, we actually do a course which is 
is almost a combination of our gardens design and our planting design course in London. Um, we do as one course there. So it's 18 months. It's run by a great guy called Brent Reed um, and, um, and, and going great guns. We're based in the botanic gardens there. So there's more stuff to do there. There's, there's a real demand. Um, and, um, and as much as I don't like getting up at four o'clock in the morning to teach online <laughs> to the Australian <laughs> students, it is actually quite rewarding, I, you know, and it, is, it comes down to that thing, I marking plant handbooks with Australian plants. And, and you know, every day is a learning day, isn't it? Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and so, so just shaking things up a bit. And there's other, other projects that I have in mind to do, which not being so involved with Fisher, Tomlin and Boya, um being more of a consultant to it um will allow me to do if i can get my new allotment sorted that's the first priority <laughs> well i was going to ask so what can we expect from you next a new allotment yeah the allotment is more about just being able to grow more unusual things but that are edible so that i meet the requirements of the allotment society <laughs> i planted out um i've planted out a whole hedge with just about every um type of pepper hard uh, woody pepper that i could find so things like cetran pepper and things that mark diacono actually turned me on to the idea of but i i you know like a collection of things but i'm currently um i inherited the biggest pile of timber uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you can imagine so uh, the current project is actually building a really flashy shed with a with a green roof it's a bit hipster actually it's got all this re <laughs> recycled timber on it and things like that but I, you know I've also inherited cob nuts and things like that and, and I only got it in in March April time so I haven't been able to plant out the fruit cage that went in so actually that's been a pumpkin patch recently if you go to my Instagram you'll see <laughs> I'm very <laughs> I'm a bit slightly obsessed with pumpkins this year <laughs> yes I did see that was it yesterday or the day before yesterday yeah yeah, yeah. Andrew, it's been an absolute privilege chatting to you. A fascinating insight into design, planting, your career. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Uh, thanks for asking me. I don't get asked very often. <laughs> oh, I, I, can't, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Well, thank you. So I, I know you're, you're really, really busy. Cheers. I literally had so much more I wanted to chat to Andrew about. So perhaps I can twist his arm to join me again in a future episode. Or maybe I will eventually get to sit in his garden. Thank you, Andrew, for your time and good luck on that allotment. As always, my thanks go out to each and every one of you for listening. And hello to any new listeners. It's so nice to have you along. And if you are new, do have a look back at my previous podcasts as there are quite a few to listen to now. And if you get five minutes, haha and you listen via Apple Podcasts, please do leave a review as it helps others to find us and allows me to gauge what content I include going forward. Now, I don't know what you've been doing today whilst you've been listening. I know some of you are in the garden working, perhaps listening in the car or on the way to the garden centre or just sat down chilling with a cuppa. But for me, I've got more bulbs to get into the garden. So I will see you next week. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.